Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Morning on this Witness Wednesday. It is the first of September. Paul Perot and I were having a debate before the show began. So, Paul, uh, would you describe again the difference between today, which is the meteorological beginning of autumn, and astronomical autumn? Which, you know, anything that's astronomical just sounds better than that which is meteorological. So, I feel like this is like a science people debate. Well, kind of, sort of. I mean, okay, astronomical fall begins on the autumnal equinox, just like, you know, winter starts, at least, uh, uh, pardon me, astronomical winter starts when you have the winter solstice and so on and so forth. Meteorologists, the weather people, they look at weather, they look at the seasons differently, and they started at the beginning of the calendar month. So today is the start of meteorological autumn. Mm-hmm. And, and you were bringing so, up the fact that, uh, you know, know, meteorologists are never right. I know. My sass factor is pretty strong <laughs> this morning. And so I would just like to say they're all wrong. And the fall begins in Genesis chapter 3. Oh, good point. The, the season of the fall, yeah, began a really long time ago, and we're still in it. Yeah. I know. I know. So, it, and it's going to get way hotter um, according to the end of the book. Mm. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's that's what I have for you. I I don't know. Whether you consider uh, fall meteorological or astronomical, fall is the reality in which we live. All creation has fallen. All creation now groans with eager longing for man's redemption. If you wonder why the patterns of the weather are the way they are um, and why intense storms like Ida rage, um, all creation fell with the fall of man. Genesis chapter 3. All right. So the autumnal, I think I'm going to call it autumnal because I did, um, <clears throat> I will confess, I did have my first pumpkin spice thing yesterday. No, 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 no. I know. You're I not know. supposed to do that till the I, day after Labor Day. I know. I'm you, so you, sorry. You, oh, I'm, my goodness. I know. I'm ahead of the curve. Okay. <sighs> I do. Um, I got a couple of headlines to cover before Stacey Lamb joins us from Convoy of Hope. We're going to talk about what's happening on the ground in Louisiana, relief efforts following um, Hurricane Ida. But I want to bring you one headline um, out of Texas and one headline this morning um, from the other side of the world in Afghanistan. So in Texas, this is important for us to know as people who are ardently pro-life. You you recognize the concept of a heartbeat bill. Um, heartbeat bills are progressing through state legislators, le- le- excuse me, state legislatures across the country the the Texas legislature and the Texas governor already signed into law a heartbeat bill in that state, which bans abortion um, effectively at the first evidence of a heartbeat. That is very, very early um, in pregnancy, very early in pregnancy. Most women, it is argued, don't even know that they are pregnant um, at the first sign of a heartbeat. And so 
this heartbeat bill, which has now gone into law, it is as of today in effect. The Texas Supreme Court did not um, overturn a lower court's um, upholding of this law. And so the law of Texas now recognizes human life beginning at the evidence of a heartbeat. This is huge. For those of you who have prayed and longed and worked and marched and advocated for life to be protected in the womb in the United States of America since the Roe v. Wade decision of the Supreme Court, this is it. Like, it's happening. And so uh, this is the biggest pro-life news in America in a generation. And so I don't want us to miss that this has taken place. We'll talk about it more in the coming days, but I wanted to alert you. This is now the law in one of the largest states in the nation. Um, Bad news, troubling news, yet not surprising news from the other side of the world. Uh, Taliban reprisal killings are accelerating in Afghanistan. Growing evidence is being reported by uh, the BBC, the National Review, the Washington Post, Uh, There is growing evidence that the reality on the ground is different than the rhetoric coming from Taliban leaders and their spokespeople. Um, Not lost on some people watching the press conference in Kabul yesterday that the declaration uh, made about not having reprisal killings um, came from the seat of a former government uh, spokesperson who was killed by the Taliban in, quote unquote, punishment for his deeds. So reprisal killings have been have begun. The National Review is uh, reporting on um, a story of a man who's desperately trying to get his company's former employees out of the country. And the State Department is sending out ominous messages telling them um, basically to hide and pray for a miracle. Um, if that makes you angry, I understand. If it activates you, I um, I understand. We are going to have John Bradley, uh, U.S. Retired Air Force General John Bradley back on the show with us on Friday to give us an update on his efforts and the efforts of his foundation to extricate Afghan colleagues who have been uh, left behind. Right now, we're going to talk with Stacey Lamb from Convoy of Hope about what is happening on the ground in Louisiana as relief efforts um, unfold there. We'll be right back. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone. Joining us now, uh, Stacy Lamb with Convoy of Hope. Stacy, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Tell us about um, your role with Convoy of Hope. Remind people what Convoy of Hope is, and then we'll get into a specific conversation about what's happening on the ground in Louisiana. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So Convoy of Hope is a faith-based humanitarian organization, and we do one of the main things that we do is uh, disaster relief all over the world. And I have the privilege of leading our U.S. side of our disaster services area. Uh, And so with that, uh, as Hurricane Ida has hit down here in uh, southeast Louisiana, uh, I'm on the ground uh, helping lead our, uh, our efforts down here as we respond to the storm. All right. And if you're listening right now and you say to yourself, you know what, I'd like to know what they're doing when it's happening in real time. I'd like to um, I'd like to get engaged with Convoy of Hope. Here's a really easy way to do that. You can text the word insider to six, eight, eight, two, eight. You just text the word insider to six, eight, eight, two, eight. 
You can check out what they're doing at convoyofhope.org. Um, Stacey, tell us what's happening on the ground in Louisiana. So as you guys know, I mean, Hurricane Ida came through just a couple of days ago and devastated parts of southeast Louisiana. And so, you know, folks, uh, you know, they're already trying to recover. I mean, people are, are trying to get back um, and see, you know, see the uh, what may be left of their, uh, you know, their property, their home or whatever. But one of the huge uh, hurdles for that is, of course, the power outages. Um, so you couple, you know, the, the damage on top of that, and there's still nearly a million people here in southeast Louisiana, including much or all of New Orleans, with no power. So with no power, there's no stores, there's no gas stations open, you know, uh, no grocery stores, none of that kind of uh, uh, thing. So uh, it makes it very difficult, even if folks can get back to a property that may have minimal damage, um, they still can't function down here. So the needs are great as far as food and water and hygiene supplies and other things that we take for granted uh, that people don't currently have access to. Uh, so that's kind of what's happening right now. And that uh, it's going to ha be happening for a while, according to uh, all the officials, uh, because it could take uh, weeks, uh, if not months, in some of the outlying areas to get power restored. You know, people always want to help, and we don't always know how best to help. So I really appreciate that you've got all these church resources um, on your website at convoyofhope.org. Talk a little bit about the way churches get together, put together hygiene or baby care kits, um, you know, how churches participate, how churches enable Convoy of Hope then to actually be on the ground doing what you're doing every day. Yeah, absolutely. And you're you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, everybody, when something like this happens, I mean, human nature, our hearts go out to the folks that are affected and people want to get on the ground. We all want to get down here and help. But you're right, sometimes that's not always the best thing to do because an influx of just a lot of people in the area uh, can just exacerbate the problem that local officials are dealing with. So being able in, in church groups, you know, they want to come and help. But we have other avenues for church groups to get involved, especially in the early days like this, when it's when it's not safe to deploy people or it's just not uh, just not feasible. And that is to build, like you said, baby kits and hygiene kits and things like that. And we've got resources on our website. Uh, for churches to go to and to be able to do that. And, and, and those are extremely important. We are distributing those hygiene kits, those baby kits. Baby kits are, are boxes that have diapers and wipes and the things that, as you can imagine, for those uh, young families out there that might have babies, you, you uh, imagine in this scenario, you can't go buy those items. That's extremely important. And so churches that build those ahead of time. We have those stocked in our warehouse and then we deploy them and we're able to distribute those. So that's a huge, huge benefit to us. And of course, the people that are affected by the storm. All right, we're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Stacey Lamb from Convoy of Hope. You can find them online at convoyofhope.org. We'll be right back. Continuing our conversation with Stacey Lamb from Convoy of Hope. They are on the ground in Louisiana serving our neighbors um, who have, who are many of whom are without power, um, an overwhelming percentage of whom have very serious damage to their homes. Um, their vehicles have been destroyed and access to the most basic of things um, that you and I take for granted every day it is hard to come by. So Convoy of Hope is on the ground meeting those needs. Um, I, 
one of the things, Stacey, I just love for you to share with your team. I really appreciate, I know it takes time and effort to post something every day on the website, you know, a story bringing us into what's happening on the ground. But I really appreciate those. And um, on August 30th, uh, you guys posted the story of um, Scott Bledsoe, the lead pastor of Household of Faith in Gonzales, Louisiana. And I just felt like, you know, that brings that brings a person and his family and his congregation and his community into focus. It's almost like we need one story at a time because it's really hard for us to imagine a million people, you know, who are without power and just everyone on every block in every community um, in such need. So talk talk with us about just one story. Yeah, yeah. And that's a great point because you know that, uh, you know, in the news, in the world that we live in today, in the news cycles, we've got 24-7 news everywhere and things just get buried in the noise. So you're absolutely right. That one story really, uh, really kind of, you know, brings, uh, you know, the humanity to it and and it's it's more relatable when you hear that one story. But um, yeah, I mean, we see, you know, just yesterday we're doing distribution uh, out here, actually at Pastor Scott's church and household of faith here in Gonzales. Uh, we had a distribution yesterday and just, you know, you seeing people come through um, and again, the, the cars just start lining up uh, because there's nowhere else for them to go. They're trying to figure out where, you know, how are they going to get food today? Uh, what about water? We had a gentleman walk up last night that uh, that didn't make it through the distri- uh, the distribution yesterday, and he was uh, he lived a few blocks down the road, and he just walked up and he said, "Hey, I see you guys have some water out here. Is there any way that I can get some water because we don't have access to anything?" So just those, I mean, it's just to us, you know, that are in other part of the U.S. right now, you know bottled water you go pick it up at walmart or 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 we turn on the tap and we take it for granted until you don't have it and then you're just walking around you know like you said without a vehicle going i've just got to find water for my family so sometimes we lose sight of that in our in the busyness of the world that we live in and a disaster like this kind of brings it back into focus so tell us another story, because I, I know that you just meet people continually, like that's part of what's going on. So it could be the story of a, of someone who has been helped, or it might be the story of a helper. Yeah, absolutely. We have, you know, uh, we have many times, we have volunteers that travel with us all over the country and do what we do. Um, but we many times we'll have volunteers locally. And I tell you, time after time, we will have people who have been affected by the storm that want to volunteer locally and their house may be damaged, destroyed, whatever the case may be. Um, but they'll come out to the site and say, you know what? I can't do anything about my house right now. I've got to wait on the insurance company or I've got to wait on FEMA or I've got to wait on this or that. So I'm just going to come and help others because, um, that's all I can do right now. And that happens on a regular basis. And just to see that, you know, I, I mean, even myself, I think through that, I'm going, man, I, I don't even know if I could do that because if I was in the same situation, I would want to be, you know, trying to get my house, you know, fixed or tarps on the roof or whatever, instead of just saying, I'm not worried about that. I'm going to go help others. So we see that kind of thing all the time. And it's pretty amazing. That feels um, so Philippianish to me, um, just in terms of considering others before we even consider ourselves. Uh, it, it does help us when we help others. Like there is, you you feel slightly more in control of the situation if you can do something. And I, that's just how we're wired, I think, as people. And so, I mean, that has been my experience that 
the opportunity to help others and just taking the initiative to do something to help someone else, it does help me. Like that's, I think that's true. Yeah, it's very therapeutic. It can be, it can be very therapeutic for, for us. Let's talk about um, what you've experienced over time, just in terms of the the long-term impact and effect. Um, there, you know, it's one thing to be able to offer immediate assistance. It's another thing to recognize that these are communities, these are people, these are churches, these are cities, this is a state that's going to be in this for the long haul. Um, talk a little bit with us about uh, that reality. Yeah, you know, the, in terms of, you know, after disaster, the long-term recovery portion of it, most folks, you know, when it when the disaster leaves the media cycle, uh, you know, it's, it's out of our minds in the rest of the country or the rest of the world, whatever the case may be. And so uh, we just move on and, and don't really give it another thought and not realizing that the folks that just experienced that disaster will be experiencing that for weeks, months, and in many cases in the, in the uh, you know, the greatly devastated areas for years to come. And uh, the folks down here, you know, along the Gulf Coast, especially in southern Louisiana, I mean, we meet we meet them over and over that experience these disasters over and over. And people will say to them, "Why don't Why don't you move? Why don't you go somewhere else?" They're like, "This This is my home. This is where I'm from. We We This is just what we do." And and and, and yes, you're right. They you know for for uh, months and years to come, there will be recovery process from this. A great example is just a year ago, uh, Hurricane Laura over just a little bit east of here in the Lake Charles area, the surrounding area. Those folks are still going through the recovery process and will continue for a long time. Thankfully, th- this one took aim there first, and boy, just that would just been a, a double whammy for them. Thankfully, this one stayed a little bit east of Lake Charles, uh, but of course, the same thing will be happening here, and these folks will be dealing with this for a long time to come. Stacey, how can we be um, praying for you uh, and your team at Convoy of Hope, and how would you invite us to be praying for the people um, who you are meeting in Louisiana? Well, and first of all, yeah, we would greatly appreciate uh, all of the prayers out there from your listeners and your teams, Um, you know, praying for our team just for uh, wisdom as we go through our day-to-day activities and that, uh, you know, that that those resources, the right resources come to us and we're able to to get them in the hands of the people that need them most Um, and just, you know, just for efficiency of operations in the field. And of course, our team members, uh, you know, that they that they stay safe as we're out here. You know, it's, it, it gets hot and humid down here in Southern Louisiana, especially after a hurricane. So, you know, just praying for safety and, and good health on everybody. And of course, with the, with the COVID pandemic that is still happening, uh, keeping all of our teams safe. And then of course, you know, we want to pray for those that have been affected. Um, again, they're in this for the long haul. Um, they need your prayers uh, to be able to persevere and get through this. Uh, not only for the things that they've got to deal with, uh, you know, on a material basis, you know, homes and things like that, but just spiritually, uh, mentally and physically, um, you know, the, the health there so that they can uh, that they can make it through this. And uh, and then, you know, and then, of course, the most important thing is that they know uh, that God's love, uh, you know, that God loves them and that people, um, you know, are there for them. And so uh, and, and, and then hopefully in. In, in, in the midst of all of this, you know, uh, people people will see the, the love of Christ with people helping them. And, uh, you know, we might even, uh, you know, I, I know that we will see people come to Christ through, um, through tragic events like this. All right, let's pray. 
Father, um, we thank you for Stacy. We thank you for the Convoy of Hope team. We thank you um, for other people, other gospel people who are on the ground in Louisiana extending mercy and grace in tangible ways. We, we pray for their safety. We pray for a sufficiency of resources. Open up your storehouses, Father. We pray that they would have the energy, the imagination, and the love to meet the needs of the people whom they meet today, and that they would receive those precious people um, as your image bearers who are, in, who are in great need. And Father, that their care extended, your love expressed through their acts of compassion, um, that Christ would shine through in all of that. We ask, Father, that you would meet not only the material, but the spiritual, financial, physical, communal needs of the people of Louisiana, our neighbors to the south. God bless them this day. Um, Care for those who care for them and keep them safe. In Jesus' name, amen. Stacey, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Um, Let us hear from you again. Thank you for your ongoing work in Haiti and Afghanistan as well. Um, So pass along our gratitude to your other teams, both here in the United States and around the world. Will do. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. You guys can check it all out at convoyofhope.org. We'll be right back. All right. Do you love God? I mean, really, like really love God in real relationship? Have you kind of wondered what does that even mean? What does it look like in real life to genuinely love God? With our head, yes, but also with our heart. To have a faith that's marked by right thinking, yes, but also right feeling. To know God deeply, to worship God passionately. Those um, those are not at odds with one another. They can be brought together in a real love of the real God who really is. And if you want to really know him, if you yearn for God, but want a clearer picture of like who he really is. Adam Ramsey joined Adam Ramsey is going to join me next. He is the author of Truth on Fire: Gazing at God Until Your Heart Sings. We'll be right back. Think about the latest conversation you've had with your kids. What did you talk about? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. If the average mom and dad were to catalog the conversations they had with their teen, it would be surprising how the talks are both infrequent and of little substance. I know, you're probably thinking, but Mark, I can't get two words out of my kid. I'm doing the best I can. I know you are. How about setting aside a regular time each week to talk about the deeper issues of life? There doesn't have to be any talk about chores or grades or cleaning up his room. Just ask open-ended questions. You might be surprised how much the frequency and quality of your conversation improves. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Working to connect with Pastor Adam Ramsey, who, by the way, uh, leads the Liberty Church. It's a it's a collection of churches on the Gold Coast of Australia. So, yeah, I know you just want to hear his voice. I totally get that. Um, while we're waiting for uh, 
all of the technology to connect itself up. Um, let me just briefly share with you that we here at Faith Radio had an opportunity yesterday to share with uh, President Curitan of the university of which we are all a part, which is the University of Northwestern, St. Paul, UNWSP, if you want to find it online. Um, and it was such a wonderful celebration of what God has done in the past year, what God has been doing over the course of time, what we anticipate God doing uh, in the in the near term, in the future, and how we are preparing ourselves to be able to say yes um, when God presents us with with greater things, with more to do. Um, and we got the opportunity to share many of the things that you have shared with us over time. And so I just wanted to say thank you to each and every one of you who contributed who contributed in ways that you didn't even know to the conversations that we had yesterday here about um, the great and glorious things that God is doing in and through this ministry. All right, Pastor Adam Ramsey is with us now. He joins us. Um, We're going to talk specifically about his new book, Truth on Fire, but we're also just going to talk about, you know, life of a pastor in a church in Australia. Adam, welcome to Mornings (laughs) with Carmen. Great to be with you, Carmen. Thanks for having me on. Oh, okay. I want to know about Mermaid Beach, because if I come to your church, I want to go to the one on Mermaid Beach. Oh, look, it's dangerous. I mean, don't Google right? the Gold Coast. Whatever you're doing I did. Right now, it's a problem. in the morning, it's a problem. If you Google the Gold Coast, you, you stumble into all sorts of covetousness. Um, it's you just you feel yourself strangely warm to international missions. <laughs> it's uh, it's beautiful, and uh, it's just a cross we, we try to carry to the, the best we can. Come. It's, so, it's so good. We're so glad that you're there serving um, serving our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit. We couldn't be more delighted to talk with you today about uh, your new book, Truth on Fire. Uh, here's the reality. I'm a thinker, and you are describing people who are like the thinker Christians and the feeler Christians and all that we can learn from one another. So describe the two groups and then maybe talk a little bit about how thinkers like me can grow in our feeling and people who are, you know, the feeler Christians can grow in their thinking. Thanks, Carmen. Well, I mean, I think there's been a a, uh, a really tragic divorce in our present state of Christianity between uh, theologically driven churches and experience driven churches and I know for me, I grew up in experience-driven churches in the first part of my Christian life and then kind of went through a bit of a theological reformation in my late teens and early 20s, uh, about 15 or 16 years ago now, and, and got exposed to this whole new world of, of, of the creeds and liturgy and high church and, 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 and a high value on theological um, clarity and biblical literacy. And what I found myself was in both of those worlds longing for biblical realities that I see in uh, in God's Word that often just become tribalized uh, to these two teams of the thinkers and the feelers. And I seem to be finding myself often trying to get the feelers and the experience, the experience-driven types to think biblically, uh, even as much as I'm trying to get the thinkers and the more theologically minded of us to rejoice and smile and delight in all that God has for them. Uh, the the feeling part of this, right? The being drawn unto the reality of who God is, the the heart leaping within me, the strangely warmed, the easily brought to tears, driven to the knees, um, hands raised in 
and just delighted exultation. Um, uh, the there's a physicalness to the feeling part that mm. can sometimes make the thinking crowd a little uncomfortable. And so I think that sure. part of this is getting God more in the viewfinder and sort of getting myself out of the viewfinder, like having less of myself in mind and heart and more of God in mind and heart. Absolutely. So that's where with the book and really with the Christian life, what we need to start with is a clear view of who God is. And, And it's remembering that having good theology and remember you know we know this theology is just thinking about god how do we see him as he's revealed himself in the scriptures uh but good theology should never exist just as an end in and of itself it's a means to move us toward deeper and more beautiful experiences with god and with one another as the people of god so I think you're right, Carmen. I think we can, uh, if we if we tribalize into one of these two camps, we can be fearful uh, of the other. And uh, and how common is that today in, in our very angry and fractured and anxious times? This this us versus them. When what we see in the scriptures is this convergence of the life of the mind and the life of the heart. Uh, Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul and mind and strength. And so these two things aren't at odds with each other in the scriptures, but I think some of us, some of us might be afraid of experience driven uh, Christianity because we've seen what happens when uh, the emotions and passion is disconnected from biblical literacy. And those experiences can genuinely run wild and, and hurt people uh, hurt a lot of people. Uh, and in the same in the same vein of thought, uh, people might be afraid of more theologically robust versions of Christianity that focuses on good theology because they've experienced theology weaponized. Uh, they've experienced cold lovelessness from people who prefer arguing more than adoring. So, so I think fear really as the, is at the root there, and we come back to this place of remembering uh, we need to have a good and clear view of God, uh, not as the final destination of our Christianity, but that view of God is meant to lead us into deep realities with him, and that's the goal of the book. We are talking with Adam Ramsey about his new book, Truth on Fire. Um, I love the word gaze. I love the idea of gazing at God, um, how you're bringing God into view. You talk in the book um, where you identify these 12 truths about God. That sounds like a theology book, right? 12 truths Mm -hmm. about God. Um, But there are six that are communicable and six that are incommunicable, which I had to practice saying. Um, What's the difference and what's the significance of those two categories? Well, when we talk about the attributes of God, the incommunicable attributes of God, which really does make up the first half of the book. Uh, Each chapter covers a various attribute of God. So for example, uh, God is sovereign. Uh, And the experience that that's meant to lead us into as we understand that truth is assurance. Uh, Over and over, the Bible's telling us God's on the throne. He's got this. So you don't have to be. And that's an important part of living out our Christianity. So, so uh, attributes that are incommunicable are those attributes that belong just to God and not to us at all. And the more we understand those attributes of God, 
uh, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, all the omnis, uh, his ho- his 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 uh, holiness and and set apartness, uh, his dissim- dissimilarity to us, it creates in us a sense of wonder and transcendence and awe, and we need that. Uh, and then the communicable attributes of God. That second half of the book looks at the attributes of God that we actually do share in uh, a measure of those things. For example, the goodness of God, uh, the mercy of God, the love of God, um, uh, the delightfulness, the happiness of God is one of the chapters there. And we actually do share in each of those things imperfectly, to be sure. And those attributes remind us of the imminence, the nearness uh, of God and how we're made in his image. And we can experience some of those things in pretty profound ways in this world. And we need both the transcendence and the imminence to give us a full vision of what Christianity is meant to look like and feel like. All right. And for people paying attention, um, they are their their mind is already leaping ahead um, to the next question, which we'll address after a very brief break. And that is, well, now, doesn't Jesus bring all that into reality? He who is fully God and fully human. Um, and so let's talk a little bit after the break about uh, Jesus, who makes the Father known. Um, what do we learn about the character and nature of God? And what do we learn about how to draw near to him through the life of Christ? That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. When you don't move the mountain, you to move. When you don't the waters, I wish I could We're talking with Pastor Adam Ramsey, author of Truth on Fire about loving God, not only with our heads, but with our lives, with our feelings, as well as our thinking. All right, Adam, so Jesus says of himself that he came to make the Father known. Um, He perfectly exegetes the Father. That's what my thinkers want to hear this morning. Jesus perfectly exegetes the Father. Um, Other people are saying to themselves, Jesus is the one who helps me, like, feel my way into um, what it's like to be a child of God, which I can't even fully get my mind around. So what does the life of Jesus tell us about both the character and the nature of God, but then also what does he demonstrate to us in terms of how we can respond to God with head and heart? Absolutely. Well, we know Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus uh, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Uh, And then it goes on and talks about his deity. You know, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Uh, Just this beautiful verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. But just if if we think about that phrase there, he is the exact imprint of his nature. So so when we're talking about the attributes of God, um, if we're we're unsure, if, if there's ambiguity around, is God like this or like this? then all we need to do is, is actually to look at Jesus, who is the exact imprint of God's nature. And Jesus brings into, you know, 4K, 8K, whatever the highest thing is now, um, high definition uh, quality, uh, that particular part of what God is like. And, and we've got to remember, Jesus is not like a blurred photocopy that's kind of like God. He's exactly God. And so, so he brings into focus the attributes there, which means uh, all good theology that explores the question of what is God like when it comes to his sovereignty, his gentleness, his patience, his mercy, his victory, his, his happiness, all of these things, uh, we're not going to have a complete understanding of that 
until we look at the person of Jesus. Yeah, I think one of the other verses that um, maybe brings a visual forward to me, Jesus is not, when you say not like a blurred photocopy, he's also not like a foggy smeared mirror in which we can only see dimly, right? So I think when Paul expresses there's going to be this time when we're going to know fully, even as we are already fully known, Jesus already knows fully. And, That's right. And so I think this knowing um, and this knowing at a level that is not just the head is really what you're getting at um, in Truth on Fire. There is a head knowledge of the, the truths or the attributes of God. There is also a felt heart, lived out, relational reality of loving God, of mm. not just loving God, you know, as an idea, but loving God as a person. Mm. Talk, talk about right. the drawing near to him, the practical ways that we can draw near to him. Well, again, as we, as we gaze at God, as he's revealed himself through his word and in the person of Jesus, and, and we look at, uh, we get a clearer picture, again, not a blurry picture, but a clearer picture of what God is actually like. That leads us into just that, just the gaze of, of our gaze of God it leads us into various responses depending on what angle of God we're looking at. So, so again, we want to avoid these, these ditches on either side of the road of, of healthy lived Christianity where, okay, we can remind ourselves it's just as big of a fail to have a really sharp, theologically correct mind uh, with a cold heart toward God. Uh, that's just as big of a fail as a really passionate, pumped up, uh, super hyped uh, experience of God that's passionate about silliness and foolishness uh, as far as the scriptures are concerned. So we want to avoid both of those. And when we look at God as he's revealed himself in his word, we see a picture there that really does make our hearts sing. And so, so I mean, consider just consider Jesus again. When we think of uh, his sovereignty, the way he's not like us. I mean, he freaked his disciples out when they were out in that boat in Mark chapter four and and the storm was raging and he was napping and he says three simple words, peace be still. And then the disciples were even more scared <laughs> after that point because they realized, oh my goodness, like this is not just any man. Uh, you know, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so these, the elements remember uh, the voice of their maker in the person of Jesus calling them to cease. And that puts awe and wonder into the hearts of the disciples. Now, these same disciples didn't just have this sense of woe, um, otherness to Jesus. They also had this sense of his nearness, uh, his gentleness. And even the, the, the one place in the scriptures, we see the heart of Jesus put on display when he says, this is what I'm like at my deepest essence. He says, uh, come to me, all who are weary, and I'll give you rest, uh, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And so there's this imminence of Jesus and this nearness of Jesus where God doesn't want us to keep him at arm's length um, by just thinking true thoughts about him that never translate into true experiences with him. He wants us to think rightly, to feel rightly, and that's always the goal. It's the both end uh, of healthy Christianity. 
The book is wonderful. Um, it is not just good theology and good um, theology in, pra- in practice. Uh, it is also um, just really uh, easy to get your hands around. I appreciate the the conversation starters, the material that you know helps me engage uh, as an individual, mm-hmm. but also in a group. So thank you for it as a resource for small groups as well. Um, all right, so um, what are you going to do this week to make memories with your five little people, and how little are they? <laughs> we just we just got back from making a memory. Uh, so so we just went out for a family dinner to celebrate the the release of the book, and uh, we did what us Ramseys love to do best, which is chicken wings uh, and burgers and beer-battered fries. And we went out and had just a feast of that and chocolate milkshakes and all the rest of it. And we had such a, just a fun time just talking and bantering. Uh, our kids, our eldest, Alea, just turned 13 this week. Uh, and she is just the most wonderful 13-year-old. Down to two sons, Benaya and Ezra, they're 11 and 9. And then we thought that that was going to be it. And we were going to adopt our fourth. That was what we thought uh, back, back in the day. And God had a different plan. And uh, uh, we came back from an anniversary trip. And Christina, my wife, was pregnant, not with one, but with two. And so when we planted our church, uh, it was with two newborns that came along six weeks afterwards. And uh, and we don't really remember much of 2015 at all. So the twins, they're they're six years old now and all sorts of fun. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That is so fun. All right. So um, have a day at Mermaid Beach because we can't. And um, <laughs> we we love uh, we love connecting with you. Adam Ramsey, thank you so much. Blessings on uh, blessings on your congregation. Blessings on your family. Blessings on the launch of the book. It is truth on fire. You're looking for Adam Ramsey. Adam, thank you so much. Thank you, Carmen. I pray this book encourages you and everyone who gets a hand on that copy. Amen. We'll be right back. Uh, I don't know. Does it feel like fall where you are? It it might. There might be a hint of it where I live, but just a hint. Uh, today is the first day of meteorological autumn. I don't know if it's astronomical where you are or not. Uh, no, not astronomical autumn yet. That Something doesn't happen until the solstice. Or pardon Autumnal me, the, 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 the equinox. No, no, equinox. Equinox. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Getting it's a mixed okay. up. Yeah. It's all right. <laughs> Paul and I are here to say today, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He is good and he loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to make the Father known to you. He wants that you should be in a relationship with the Father that's restored and redeemed. It's Witness Wednesday. Come to Jesus. Are you weary and heavy laden? He will give you rest. We got another. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.